Hello and welcome along to another PRO Coffin Art Podcast and uh, we're still at Venue 34. If you've heard the last one, you'll know we caught up with Steve Drake, the watercolour artist here. Uh, but I am absolutely delighted to get an, uh, get hold of another artist and this is Alex Smith. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Just good. enjoying the, the whole venue, the art trail. The venue's great here, so if you ever get a chance to look down anyone, uh, this part of Fitzalan Road, come and have a look. Yeah, and if you are listening during the trail, we're at venue 34 and we're right at the very end. We've had a few people struggling to find us, so... Yes, yeah. Go, go as far as you can, some just don't people, go into the field. Some people are afraid of the walk, but it's exercise, so it's good for you. Yeah, and You'll actually, feel good by the end of the time you get to the and end We've the asked road. people as well, and some people have said it's taken them five minutes if they're, if they're at the bottom of the road. Yeah. And others that have walked from Tarrant Street said about 12 minutes, so it's, yeah, it's not... It's not far. It's not miles. And it's not hilly. No, Neither, is it? it's like, not. Getting up to Arundel Cathedral, it's a hill, so that's yeah. a lot harder. Absolutely. <laughs> so, we're sat in the garden, not quite as sunny as when I was with Steve, but um, I am pleased to see that we've got more of your sculpture pieces. So, we've had a, you've had a very good successful start to the trail. But very good, do you, yeah. Do you want to tell, tell people what it is that you do exactly? Well, I've been a blacksmith since I was 17, and uh, I've been working at Amberley Museum as the blacksmith there, running the forge, chalk pit forge, because it's in a chalk pit. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so it's aptly named. What, and, got you, what got you into it then? 17 is quite a young age to start off at. Well, some... my mum my had horses, so I thought about being a farrier. Um, which is? Which is shoeing horses. Okay. So I did some work experience with a few farriers and uh, saw them wrestle the horses. You know, horses that don't <laughs> want to get shod are a nightmare. Well, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah I can't imagine they're all queuing up for it. it it's quite <laughs> stressful. Yeah. So, you know, they're... And a couple of hooves in the face here and there. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, they can break your ribs, break your legs. And uh, one farrier I was working with, he said, well, if that... This was after about an hour of him punching the horse and kicking it and the horse kicking him and then basically fighting each other. He said, uh, if that horse did break my ribs, then I would have had to carry on shoeing it, even if I was nearly passing out, because otherwise it would do it again to someone else. And he said, would you do that? And I was thinking, no. I might have said yes, but I was thinking no. <laughs> now, you know when Steve and I did this, there was a little pause that I recorded the Tom Petty moment. Oh. We're going to have one of those now. Okay. And if you've not listened to the previous one, the Tom Petty thing means that uh, the Full Moon Fever, if you have the CD, there's a break in it where he says, for those listening on um, tape and vinyl, we'll turn it over. So he takes a small gap and he's him just chatting away. And he goes, right, that should be enough time. And then carries on with the album. I'm glad and you described I, that because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> where Polly was just like, oh, yeah, I know that. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's a, if anyone ever turns up, it's our Tom Petty break. Anyway, where were we? I don't know. Oh, you were talking about um, being hit in the ribs by horses. Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I removed myself from the farriery side Yes, I'm it, not surprised. But I absolutely loved hitting hot metal because it's great. You get a good, you know... The, the, Is it a good it's stress reliever? To, it's very good stress relief, <laughs> very therapeutic. best way to sort of describe it is it's like plasticine because you've got that plasticity. If you were going to hit a bit of plasticine, it would move to all directions. If you hit a bit of hot metal, it moves to all directions. So it's a blacksmith's job to control it. And you're hammering away and you're feeling it move and you're controlling it in different places. And um, it, it's artistic, it's practical. And it just, it just, you know, took all my, takes all my concentration, focus, and I'm constantly learning. So, uh, 
So yeah. did, you, did you train for that? Did you train yourself? Did you go to college? Or was I, it a kind of a, you I went, pick it up as you go? I went to college at uh, Myersco College, which is an agricultural college near Preston, and learnt some basic blacksmithing techniques there. Scroll work, things like that, more traditional things. Then I did a design artist blacksmithing course over at Hereford. Uh, oh, so I know Hereford. It's close, to, close, close to where I grew up. Oh, really? Where did yeah. you grow up? Uh, just in Wales, um, but a village that's about probably about 40 minutes away from Hereford. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Her- Hereford's point. lovely. It I is lo- Lovely nice. countryside there. As I say, very much cattle country. Yeah, yeah. And going for a walk once uh, along the River Wye, I noticed these trees that were covered in, like, webs. Yeah. Silk. So it must have been silkworms or something. I didn't realise at the time that it was silkworms. I just thought a huge <laughs> spider was going to come down and <laughs> chop my head off. That's reading too much of The Hobbit. Well, yeah, yeah. I was I was probably about 20-odd at the time, so maybe my imagination was still firing off in all directions. Then. So what was the first piece that you made? Oh, God, I don't know. Probably a door handle or something like okay. that. Yeah, candlestick holders. And have you still got that, or have you sold that, or is that one of those you hide in a drawer for no one to ever see? Um, I gave a candlestick holder to an ex-girlfriend. I think don't think she dumped me because of it. She might have done. <laughs> she might have expected a better present. Maybe she expected the candle to come in the candlestick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Missed out there. <laughs> anyway, you live and learn, don't you? Absolutely. Um, so... We've got a big selection of work here. I mean, the birth baths have been incredibly popular. Do you want to talk us through the kind of the process for making one of those and what they're made of as well? Because I know when we sold something on the weekend, we had to tell them to do something with linseed oil. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So um, the birth baths, uh, they start off as a sheet of metal, a mild steel. It's all mild steel. Mild steel is basically iron with a little bit of carbon in there. Okay. And uh, so I cut... I cut the shape out with a cutting disc on an angle grinder. I've got a plasma cutter, but I find it, because it's quite thin, this sheet, it's only two mil thick, it's quite quick just to do with a cutting disc on an angle grinder. Then I dish it in the power hammer. I've got a tool, a dishing tool in it, and um, and that, that dishes it. And then I bend a stem for it in the fly press. After forging the stem down in the... Uh, uh, getting it hot and and beating it into a taper. And what kind of temperatures are we looking at? Uh, well, for for forging the stem, um, I need to get it to about 1,200 degrees Celsius. And the, the metal melts at 1,400. The fire gets to about 2,500. Um, I'm the, assuming there's lots of health and safety gear you wear while you're doing this. Yeah, I've got an apron on, which helps uh, stop any chips from the metal from hitting me or... Uh, the, had, also the heat. Have you had any bad injuries? I've had uh, an injury on a power hammer once where a bit of metal went into my glasses Ooh. and it pushed the lens of my glass into my eye, squashed my eye Ooh. and um, caused traumatic glaucoma. So I didn't realise at the time uh, that I had it after about, you know, it took about two weeks to, that the doctors realised. But yeah, I was getting lots of pain in my eye, like really sharp pains. And um, and also, it split the back of my eye as well, which meant that they had to do this sort of lasering technique uh, where they welded the eye back together at the back. Ooh. It's amazing. I, don't I know. should have put a warning out before this episode. I still don't know how they did it. <laughs> it but um, It's probably not a bad thing. 
no, no, no. But it's amazing what they can do. They did a trabeculectomy on my eye to allow the aqueous fluid um, to come out of the top of my eye. And, uh, and so it stops building up um, the pressure in my eyeball. So, yeah, incredible. Should we go back to the bird baths a little bit more? Oh, the bird baths, That's yeah. terrifying. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but that was... And how long does it take you to, to make one of those? Uh, to take about two hours. Oh, right, and, okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, and if, you, if there's going to be a finish on top as well, that would even take longer or, you know, galvanising is quite costly. Um, that and, adds a bit of And expense. why the linseed oil? So, you'd, linseed oil I use mainly for sculptures that allow to rust for a little bit because it takes it a nice leathery brown colour. Yes. Um, but you've got to redo it every year. Uh, it's even nice for railings and things like that as long as you can be bothered to redo the linseed oil every mm. year. It doesn't take very long. For a bird bath, it'd take about two minutes. Um, but with a bird bath, the linseed oil would wipe off even faster in the in the actual bath bit. So you'd have to do that every month. So what I do advise for bird bath is that it either gets galvanised or zinc sprayed and powder coated, or uh, or you just paint it with two coats of primer and two coats of uh, whatever colour you want on top, hammerite or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. So you make a lot of your work at Amberley, I, I assume. Yeah, well, do you I do. want to tell the people all about Amberley Museum? Because I know very little about it. So Amberley Museum's a great place. I've been there fourteen years. It's full of characters. Does it feel like home? Uh, yeah, Is yeah. It... I'm very settled there. And, good good um, place for a studio. Yeah, it is. Um, I'll be honest. I don't make much money out of the visitors in terms of selling small products or getting commissions or. Um, doing because i do lessons as well one-to-one -one lessons okay um, and so i do advertise myself outside the museum it's like what i'm doing now for the arundel art trail and try to show the community i exist um, yeah, i think and you've picked up a lot of new fans and followers here over the past few days it's been great yeah yeah, yeah. The private private view we had a lot of our customers coming along and they were they were quite impressed but i think by a lot of your pieces yeah yeah, it's it feels feels great to you know be out of my work, my dark, gloomy workshop, and <laughs> and hot introduced to real people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, it's a lot cooler. Yeah, it's very hot in the workshop, especially when it was forty degrees Celsius. Yes, I'm surprised you even bothered going in. <laughs> there, there wasn't much of me left after that. I tell you, uh, if you did sign up for a course, what what kind of thing would you make? Well, and people, how long is the course? People do the bird baths. They do ram's heads are popular because it sh it shows different techniques such as splitting the material, drawing it down, twisting, bending, and fire welding. Very very clever uh, technique, and that's that's been going for thousands of years. Uh, blacksmiths have just handed it over. Mm. And uh, with the increase the in technology, has has that creeped into the uh, the skill and the art, or do you keep it very much a traditional? Well, you've got welding. We've got art welding and MIG welding and TIG welding, and they, they've, they're having a big effect because you can basically join things together a lot faster mm. than uh, some some jobs I do is completely traditional. Like I did some hinges uh, that were all fire welded together, um, but each fire weld was taking like an hour to wow. do rather than ten fifteen minutes. Mm. So um, it puts the cost up a lot. But um, you get a different look to it. It looks more organic because fire welds, you can't get them that precise. They stretch a little bit. So 
they just they can add to uh, design. And presumably for restoration, you're called upon quite a lot to make things quite traditional looking. And yeah, so it fits in with like I assume places like stately homes that need things done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, if you can do it traditionally for restoration, then you should, um, and uh, do it the the way the techniques were done in the past. And that's what I was doing with these hinges as well, um, doing it exactly how they would have done it. 200 years ago um, and uh, which was you know it's very time consuming but I was very grateful to have a project like that because being a blacksmith I love all the techniques I want to keep them alive um, and teach people them so um, yeah I was I was very even emotional that I got that job because mm. I don't get jobs like that very much no so you've said uh, about the art trial and meeting people so this is the second time you've done the art trial is that right uh, I've well, I started doing them in 2008 and stopped doing them in 2011 um, because I shut the shop that I was running yeah. called Bespoke Arts, which was on Tarrant Street. And, um, and then since then, I haven't done any since last year. And uh, I, was, I did an installation at the Victoria Institute. And um, uh, yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there was that much footfall last year. Um, but I'm we very were still in that pandemic period, weren't we as well? Yeah, yeah, and the numbers were low, and also no one really knew whether it should go ahead or not. So it was all a bit last minute. What was the installation about? Uh, the installation was about uh, uh, being stuck into a. It's quite deep, really. Right. Being stuck in like a negative loop. We can all think negatively, and obviously it's important to think positively, um, especially if you know suffer from depression or um, mental health issues and things like that so it's it's sort of about about that being stuck in a negative loop but but trying to think positively as well and uh, I use lights to do that and words so you have boxes with laser cut words in the boxes and lights would come out the words so you'd have things like paranoia or uh, guilt or you know all those all these sort of things um, uncertainty Things that can uh, play on people's minds and um, and make you feel negative, but uh, yeah. So this year it's quite a, quite a departure from that with the with the sculpture garden. Yeah, this is very light. Yeah. Uh, the um, the venue thirty four Polly's and Andrews venue is, is brilliant. Uh, it really shines. I mean, Stephen and I was was speaking about it. I mean, the pieces in the garden it gives a real context to how people would have them at home, doesn't it as well? And shows yeah. them off in their in their fullest. Uh, this one intrigues me. Do you want to describe what that one is? Because obviously me pointing isn't going to help the listener. Oh, well, it's a, it's a spiral. And the idea behind it is it looks like there's a force um, bringing the metal out of the ground. So it looks like it's the metal sort of being forced out and then wrapped around a ball. And this um, is can be used as an obelisk for plants to grow up. And then the plants can then spiral around the metal frame Okay. And uh, make it even nicer to look at. Or it could just be left as it is without plants growing up it. Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, I draw a lot. Um, and when I was doing my BA in Hereford, I used to analyse things. Uh, the teacher would get me to go out and just draw things, analyse things as much as possible. Things like wood grain I liked because there was, around the knot, you'd have the, um, the, the grain moving in different patterns. So it looked like it being forced into shape or things like a sail, which is being forced into shape by the wind or 
pumpkins forced into shape by the growth inside look like they're stretching so I like I like to add a bit of uh, you know uh, a look like there's a force going on within the metal work so you're quite influenced by nature yeah yeah influenced by nature I'm always keeping my eyes open which is one of the beauty of the jobs is to be inspired yes and, absolutely uh, yeah and are there any artists that you uh, are inspired by? Uh, Gaudi, I love his work, the architect. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian Russell, who's a blacksmith uh, in Northumberland. He's incredible, incredibly skilled. You don't see many people that are that skilled because the thing with blacksmithing is you can improve all the time. Yes. And the level of skill you can get to, like Brian Russell has, is, is ridiculous, really. Um, and uh, I would find it difficult to get to that level of skill because just people aren't prepared to pay for the the traditional techniques involved in those mm. in those skills, the fire welding and things. But then like that's that. quite similar to most artists, isn't it? I mean, you know, if if Steve was in there charging per per hour for his watercolors, you know, they'd be twice as much as they already are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. one of the hard things about being an artist, I suppose. Yeah, but I always think it's fun. I like doing it. I earn less than what I could if I had a proper job. Mm. But <laughs> well, it is a proper job. But I work... It's not a very well-paid proper job. Well, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I wake up every morning actually wanting to go to work, so I think that, that means a lot to me. It does, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's some sculptures in, the, sculptures in the back garden as well. What, what have we got out there? Uh, we've got um, another linseed oil sculpture that's rusted and gone leathery brown because of the linseed, and that's called Nat Nature's Ribbon. And that's basically from an idea of, I was just sitting listening to the birds while having a cup of tea at Ambly Museum. There's a lot of birds there. And uh, I've noticed you drink a lot of tea. No coffee, just tea? Just tea, ah. yeah. Black, strong tea, because <laughs> I'm from up north, you see. Well, got I wasn't going to make that connection. But... You've got, got to have it strong, or you don't get any street cred <laughs> up there. So, uh, yeah, wheat tea, they, they frown upon it. Quite right. Um, can make them, some of them quite upset. Anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, the sculpture Nature's Rhythm is, I was listening to, to the bird songs and thinking, what would that look like if I did that in metal, you know, a, a manifestation of the actual bird song, a physical manifestation. So I did a few sketches of, um, of how that rhythm could look. Do you always carry a sketchbook with you? Uh, some, sometimes I... I go on, I, I'm a funny person because I get, I can get really obsessive about doing things in stages. So I'll be doing drawing, you know, consistently when I have time for months, maybe a couple of months, and then it stops. And then I do, and then I do something else like write poetry or, or um, something like that. Um, so, um, so like Steve, always, always being creative. Always being creative, yeah, yeah. Unless I've got, haven't got any energy and just want to put the telly on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Usually, if I have got energy, I'll, I want to be uh, focusing on something, something creative. I, I heard you discussing um, with some people that came to look around, uh, probably yesterday actually, uh, about um, commissions. What's the largest thing you've been commissioned to build? Uh, largest thing? Um, and what was it? Oof, well, I did, a, I did an archway for someone. This was a funny job. Um, a lady came in with a car 
uh, a Honda Legend. And it was a husband's car, her husband sadly died. And she said, there's a lot of memories locked into this car and um, I don't want to scrap it completely. So can you take, she, she, she listed various bits she wanted from the car and said, can you take those bits and turn it into something sculpture or something like that? So I said, well, what about an archway? And then this archway is, you know, probably over two meters high or so. And uh, about one and a half, two meters wide. And I made lots of scrolly leaf work and um, made areas, plates, where you can attach bits of the car to the archway. Oh, so it's like a memorial for, yeah. um, uh, for you know, the, the sentiments that she she holds to the car and her husband. And, was she pleased with it? Very pleased, yeah. yeah. And she uh, and it was it was part of her um, grieving process. I think she needed to do something positive. Yeah. And it felt like a really good positive thing for her to focus on. Um, so I think it helped her in a sense as well. Wow, um, that's quite an undertaking to do that. That's quite a lot of pressure on that for you to yeah to get it right. I really wanted to get it right for her, and I wanted you know I wanted um, I wanted it to to be a positive thing for her. Mm. So um, so when we met and things, we yeah we'd have long discussions and um, yeah we'd make sure it, it it was right. And I'd do lots of designs for her so. She had a good idea of how it would look um, until she was, you know, confident yeah. that that's what she wanted. One of the other things as well that I overheard you saying to the to two people that were asking was about regulations. So you are restricted to what you can do? Yeah, so if, you, if you've got a balcony, say, and you want a railing around a balcony, there's certain building regulations for that. Um, you need, you'd need the railing to be... 1.1 meters high and you've not allowed a hundred millimeter sphere to pass through any point of the railing right. uh, also it can't be they can't have too many horizontal bars where a child can climb up it makes sense so yeah you've got these regulations but you can still be artistic um, the the regulations mean that it, it can be more expensive to do because obviously you have to have a certain amount of bars in it mm. um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you don't, if you're not too building regulations, it can stop you from selling the house. It, it sometimes, depending it, if the council's got their eye on you. So, <laughs> well, it was it was interesting that you actually pointed that out to them. I certainly don't think they had taken that on board until that particular point. So no, it's good that you're quite aware of all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, you've got to be. Otherwise, you so, can become a cropper. I suspect I know the answer to this due to the fact that you you use lots of very um, hot and uh, dangerous equipment. Do you work uh, just as yourself or do you listen to music while you work? Or uh, I don't bother putting the radio on. One, because I'm in a museum. Yeah. and um, But even when it's closed, I don't bother uh, because of the noises. And I, I actually like the rhythms of the workshop when I'm working away and going ding, ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I mean, everything's got a rhythm, like the even the bird baths, uh, they'll have a certain rhythm when I'm bashing away. And that rhythm has to be sort of even, and it's a pattern, because as I'm dishing it, it has to be even as it's being dished. Yeah, of course. So you get you get this sort of perfect rhythm, and um, even like flamenco... So you kind of generate your own music, really. Yeah, I mean, flamenco dancing, I, I watched a programme on BBC4, and it said that... Flamenco dancing had come from 
the blacksmith's forge. Wow. Because they, they had the rhythm of the blacksmith in the background and then they would build on it with uh, oh, okay. other things, you know, a little tapping and clicking and things like that. And uh, I guess a blacksmith was a bit of a, might have been a social hub in villages. People hang around outside, so maybe even have a drink. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so. And the other thing I've got to ask you, Lucy said, make sure you ask him. Uh, you were saying you're quite creative, and even if you're not in the uh, the forge, then you're doing poetry or, or other things. Um, and that's a book. You're in the middle of writing a book. Yeah, I'm writing a book. I started doing it in lockdown and needed something to focus on. So um, I couldn't go into the forge because the uh, museum had completely shut down. So I started writing a book and I decided to do the background on a museum because I'd been in the museum for so long, I've, I've already researched that in a way. Um, and uh, the main character is a colonel from the army and he's basically got to adjust to civilian life and put up with attitudes that are completely different from his own in a, a, mu in a museum where it's fairly short of money and run down and um, which is why they employed him because they couldn't afford a proper director so they needed uh, someone of stature but not someone that is a trained director to run run the museum so he he comes into all sorts of problems uh, is this based, the on a, based on anyone you know or have you just all created mm. it from it's complete fiction yeah um but I've met so many characters in the museum that have inspired me to, they inspired me to write the book in the first place. Mm. And I didn't, at first, I didn't think it was going to be any good. So, but when I wrote the first draft, I looked for it and I thought, actually, this, I'm going to work on this some more because actually I think it's, it's not that bad. So, um, what draft are you on now? Uh, 12. Are you close to the end? Uh, I'm, I, sometimes I think, shall I change it? Just, you know delete half of it and then re <laughs> and then redo more because i could I, I could do take it in different directions yeah so i mean as it is I, it could i could send it to a publishers as it is or you know the grammar's good and this i've got a storyline and it's funny um but it's whether i want to fiddle about and change it a bit more i haven't uh, decided yet any authors that have inspired you to to write this um or influenced you I love love comedy. PG Wodehouse, Jeeves and Worcester, um, is he's a brilliant author, and the the way he writes is is, you know, I get hooked in in his books from start to finish. Uh, very easy reads. Uh, you don't get lost in the book. You, the plot's easy to follow. Um, so it's it's quite relaxing, quite a relaxing read. Um, Spike Milligan also, I think, very funny man. Um, so I like his books. Um, and, uh, and does yeah. the book have a title? Yeah, it's called £15 Only. Okay. Are you going to tell us why? Because that's how much it costs to get in the museum. Okay, I, I figured it probably would be. Yeah. Well, we've had a good art trail so far. You, yeah, And you are good. enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a new, another, what, five days, I think, to go, haven't we? So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, something so yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully we'll see a lot more people in through the door. Yeah. Well, it's been good to chat. Oh, yeah, it's been very good, Mike. Thanks very much. Thank you.